Welcome to part 20. Uh, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 8, but we are on part C of this aspect. We have been talking last week about uh, Yeshua being the law of God, or the week before we saw that he was our priest, he was our mediator. This week we need to continue looking at that he is our temple and we are the temple. We touched on that a little bit last week, but we're going to pick up a little bit more here because there's a lot more to cover than what we could in one session. Um, as I said last week, that this is the framework that has been unchanged, whether it be the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. There has to be a priesthood, there has to be a mediator, there has to be a law, there has to be a temple, and there has to be sacrifices. And so, uh, seeing that framework, we're going to pick up here again with the temple. Now, like I said, in the Old Covenant, there was the physical temple. And now, under the New Covenant, there is a temple, but it is a spiritual temple that is inside of us. And again, we talked about that last time, so we won't get into it outside of to remind you that it's the same thing, but transferred to a different location. What's happening is we see a lot of people, even Christians today, surprisingly, are waiting on this new temple to be rebuilt. Uh, it's often called the third temple. We read about it in Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48. And a lot of people believe this is the temple that is going to be desecrated by the Antichrist that we read about in Daniel. And we'll touch on some of those things. But what I want to point out is it is not the Messianic Jews that are pushing this idea of a third temple. It's the Orthodox Jews, those that do not believe Yeshua is the Messiah. And that's very sad that uh, so many Christians are, have donated millions upon millions of dollars to support the building of this really false temple. Now, like I said last week, this title, The Third Temple, I think is kind of wrong. It's really the fourth temple because we are that third temple. And I think it says something to call it the third temple as we look in scripture here, because the third temple, uh, from a Jewish perspective, we see a lot of different threes that are in there. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, we, we see, uh, you could even look at the Trinity from a Christian perspective. And so the third temple, us being that third temple is significant because God does those types of things in threes. There's the prophet, the priest, and the king. Uh, it's very symbolic. And so us being the third temple ought to tell you that it's complete. It's complete with that. And so this, this third or maybe what I'll call the fourth temple is actually man's idea, man's way of doing something that's going to come. And uh, now, um, not to say that this third temple of us is the, the final product. Uh, we do see the New Jerusalem coming out of heaven in Revelation. You see, what we have now is not going to be what it will be. But I don't believe that's what uh, the Orthodox Jews are trying to rebuild here. It is uh, purely physical, uh, purely natural, not spiritual. Now, what are they waiting for? 
Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, they are waiting for the Temple Mount. Uh, what you can see here kind of in this picture, that gold dome, that uh, the, the Muslim uh, house of worship there. And right now that is under the Muslim control. If the Jews would get control of that again, the Temple Institute has all of the pieces, all the walls, everything ready to go so that they could rebuild the temple again right away. Second thing they need beyond the location of the Temple Mount is a red heifer. And a red heifer is required to be able to cleanse and purify the, the priests and get them ready to you know, be able to minister in this temple. And so both of those things are in the works from the Orthodox Jews. Let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7. It says, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. That third generation is very important here. It's this third generation that is free, whether they be Esau or Egyptians. Those are Gentiles, by the way. And so the third generation born to them may enter. They may be free. Now, in Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, it says, At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. Here we see it's the third year that everyone rejoiced because... It was a year of freedom, you might say. The tithe of your produce of that year is stored up in their gates. Um, in Esther, we see that there was a, a third day when Esther entered into the inner court of the king, which, by the way, uh, as we uh, my study on Esther, you will see that Esther is a very prophetic book all about Christ and our relationship with him. It's an amazing prophetic book, much more than what most people read about it when they just read it at face value. But the third day she enters the inner court of the king. That's a picture of the third day when we are free, when we will enter the assembly of God. Um, Hosea chapter 5, at the very end of it, moving into chapter 6, we see the same thing, that after two days, God would revive the Jews so that on the third day, they may live in his presence. But when Esther entered into the king's court on the third day, that is when he found, or she found favor with um, Haman at first, and, but uh, found favor with the king, and ultimately Haman is going to be killed, and the people of Israel are delivered. Samuel, as an example, he was called three times when it was on the third time that Eli recognized, hey, this is God speaking to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, uh, it is on the third day, obviously, that Jesus will rise from the dead. Um, Ahaziah, the, the king of Israel, he fell through the lattice of his roof, and he sends messengers to the, to the gods of Ekron to find out whether he's going to survive or not. And what ends up happening is God sends Elijah the prophet to intercept these messengers. And he says, you go tell uh, the God, or tell uh, uh, Ahaziah that there, what, is there no God in Israel that you have to, you know, send your messengers to the God of Ekron? And so... We see as well, this is on third day, the king sends uh, three groups to get Elijah 
The first two groups are destroyed by fire. The last one is redeemed or saved. And so very similar because it is like these three temples. The first two are rejected or destroyed, like with Elijah. The first two uh, groups that went to him, they were destroyed. But the third one is welcome. The third one is brought in. So anyway, these are just some symbols that we see throughout Scripture. But um, the third generation is going to be an important thing because that is, um, I, I think, a picture of freedom. Also want to show you here a rabbi named Maimonides. Now, Maimonides is uh, a Jewish sage, you know, from the 11 and 1200s, mainly the 1100s AD. And he said that this means we need to build the temple for the Messiah when we read in Malachi 3 verse 1. Here's what it says. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, see, we got to build the temple because unless we can build the temple, the Messiah will not come. This is one of the reasons these Orthodox Jews are so adamant about getting this temple built. Well, this is what happens when the veil is not lifted. Last week we talked about that, that whenever the law is read, that veil remains. It's not the law that's the problem. It's the location of that law. Is that law just written on stone and in ink? Or is that law in our hearts in that we can understand what it's speaking about? See, from this perspective, they're reading it with the veil. That veil remains. But in Christ, that veil is lifted. And we understand that this is talking about the Messiah, Yeshua, who has come. So we don't need to build the third temple. We are the third temple based on scripture, but when the veil remains, they're going to want to build it for sure. Now, we also see here um, in uh, Melechim 11 verse 1, again, some Jewish writings here from uh, Maimonides. He says, if a king will arise from the house of David who diligently contemplates the Torah and observes its mitzvot, its commands, as prescribed by the written law, and the oral law, as David, his ancestor, will compel all of Israel to walk in the way of the Torah and rectify the breaches in its observance and fight the wars of God. We may with assurance consider him the Messiah, the Mashiach. What I want you to see here is very important as well. Because Maimonides is going on to say then that this Messiah will build the temple. Which is it? Us that builds a temple or the Messiah who builds the temple? That's the question. Can you see the contradiction here? In one place, he's saying, we need to build the temple because if the temple's not there, the Messiah can't come. And now he's saying, if a king arises from the house of David and he obeys the commandments of God, that his ancestors will compel, or it says David and his ancestors, he will compel all of Israel to walk in the way of the Torah, rectify the breaches and the observance, and fight the wars of God. We may, with assurance, consider him the Messiah. So, 
a little side note here. This passage shows one reason the Jews never accepted the Gentile Messiah, Yeshua. Okay, but Jesus did this by pointing out the breaches of the Pharisees. Isn't that fascinating? It says that this guy's going to know the law. He's going to teach the law. That's exactly what Yeshua did. And then he's going to compel all of Israel to walk in the way of Torah. That's what Yeshua did, contrary to the churches today. He did teach them uh, over and over, as you've been seeing through this study, but to rectify the breaches in its observance. So, yes, we obey the law, but you don't obey the traditions of men. All these things where man has breached the wall of the law, have corrupted the law. Virtually every time Yeshua speaks against the law, it's only about the traditions of men, not the law itself. Never does Yeshua ever, not once, does he ever speak against the commandments of the word of God. He only rectifies the breaches of which the Pharisees had added to or changed the law. Only then. I've talked about this before in early studies, but just in case this is the only one you're listening to, some examples are when the disciples don't wash their hands. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, does it say they had to. Or when they were walking through the fields and they were uh, picking grain to eat, nowhere does it ever say that you can't do that. You couldn't work your regular work and put the sickle to you know the harvest, uh, but you could always pick to eat. Just every example... Uh, healing on the Sabbath. Nowhere does it say you can't do that. These were things that, th that were breaches in the observance of Torah. And so a very important thing to recognize here as well. But anyway, the Orthodox Jews, again, they, they still have that veil. And so they're not going to understand. That's just the, the way it works. I want to show you here uh, another rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Itzak. Amos 9.11 says this, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now Rashi is this Rabbi Shlomo. Um, he is probably, one. I would say, the most important rabbi of all Judaism. Yet Rashi disagrees with Maimonides, who is also called Rambam. He believes that God is going to be the one that's going to bring down the temple from heaven. That's amazing to me because that's exactly what the Bible says is supposed to happen. Okay, In Revelation, the new Jerusalem, it comes down out of heaven. So even the Orthodox Jews are divided on the two beliefs of where this temple comes from, who builds it, that kind of thing. And this is why Rashi believed uh, what, you know, that God would bring it down is from Exodus chapter 15 and Amos 9. Exodus 15 says, You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place the Lord, your, the place, Lord you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary. Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. So, on this point, I have to say I agree with Rashi. Based on the book of Revelation, that this is exactly what is being fulfilled in 
what is prophesied, I should say, here in Amos and in Exodus 15. When God says, Lord, you made for your dwelling the sanctuary, this is a tabernacle that God makes, a temple that God makes, not one that is made by human hands. He, he reiterates, Lord, your hands established, Exodus 15. This is prophetic of the true third temple that is in us. And so, uh, vital to understand this. Um, when they read Amos 9-11, okay, which we just looked at, they see this as messianic. No question about it. I see it as Yeshua. They just don't see Yeshua as a Messiah. But they see as messianic so that they should see Yeshua as the temple. But again, there's a veil. They just, they, they're obstinate in their hearts. Let me show you that this is a commentary, you might say, a Jewish commentary of what rabbis say about Amos 9-11. Rabbi Naaman said to Rabbi Itzhak, Have you heard when the son of the fallen one will come? He said to him, Who's the son of the fallen one? He said to him, It's the Messiah. Do you call the Messiah the son of the fallen one? He said to him, Yes, for it is written, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, the fallen one. So they're seeing Amos 9.11, raising up the tabernacle, but they're focusing here on the fallen one. But they don't think the Messiah. How can the Messiah have, be a fallen one? Well, if you know Yeshua, it's all explained, isn't it? He is the fallen one. He went to the cross. He died, but he rose from the dead. Now, this passage refers to the son of David, the Messiah. And being raised up, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Remember when Yeshua was going uh, and talking to his disciples, he says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it again in three days, right? And they say, how can that be? It's taken 46 years to build this temple. There's no way that you can do this in three days. Well, this is a prophecy of the resurrection of Yeshua. Not just a physical temple, but a spiritual temple. So they're just not catching it. John 2, 18 through 19, this is basically what I was just saying. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for, these, uh, for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So again, they should see this as Yeshua because they do see it as messianic. Well, Yeshua fits that to a T. Yeshua fits what I just showed you to a T that he would come and he would teach the law. He would repair the breaches in the law. This is what he did. Revelation 15 verse 1 states this, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. Again, I think I agree with Rashi. Okay, he was on to something saying the Lord would build a temple and that that temple would come from heaven. Because here we see in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels, seven last plagues. This is before uh, everything is done. And he looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire standing beside the sea. 
those who were victorious are standing over the number of his name and beast. And it goes on to say this, they held harps given them by God and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Now, before I go on in verse 4, I want you to note here in verse 3 that structure of the faith that we see that we've talked about in previous lessons. The structure of the faith that you see that he sang the song of God's servant Moses. Moses is typically associated with the law and of the Lamb. Law, gospel, put there together. But it goes on here in verse 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. So here we are again in the New Testament, and we're seeing the tabernacle. But notice it's of the covenant law. Remember I said law is also in the new covenant because this is in Revelation when this is coming back for us and it's still called the tabernacle of the covenant law and it was opened. But as we saw here in verse 1, okay, he sees these angels in heaven. We see that the saints have been delivered. Then in verse 2 here, we see that all nations are coming in to worship God before this throne that you just saw singing the, the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And then after this, there's a heavenly temple that comes down. The true fourth temple now, maybe you might say, but really I think it's the third temple fulfilled finally. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 says this, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So here again, this he that we're talking about is Yeshua, Jesus, the stone of stumbling. Okay, the New Testament makes it clear that this is Yeshua. So Jesus is the temple to those who trust in him. Now, this is Old Testament, speaking of the Messiah, but I want to show you that Revelation also agrees with this in the New Testament. Chapter 21, and he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So in the Old Testament, we see it saying Jesus is that temple. John shows us Jesus saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, saying he is the temple. Revelation is now telling us there's this holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, but there's no temple in it. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. We are that temple. He is that temple. Can you see the unity that is supposed to happen that God talks about all throughout the New Testament? that they will remain in me and I will remain in them, that he's a temple, we're a temple, it's the same thing because we are united. Such an important thing, but those who trust in him are the ones that inherit this. John 2.18, again, what we just looked at, just showing you, to remind you that again, Jesus is the temple. Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. 
Zechariah 6.12 is some more proof of this. It's all throughout the scriptures. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. In Hebrew, that word is tzemek. It is always used for the Messiah. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall between the, be between them both. So, again, who builds a temple, man or God? God's the one that builds a temple here. It says, he shall build the temple of the Lord, in verse 12. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. It says again, in verse 13, and he shall bear the glory. And so, it says, he shall be a priest. We talked about that before. One of the primary aspects of a covenant, you need a priest, and we see that Jesus is a better priest than Aaron, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And notice that he is on his throne. Priests don't have thrones. Kings have thrones. Kings weren't allowed to be priests. But we see that Yeshua, Jesus, is our king. He is our priest. He is our prophet. He's all three. But this is what it means, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Them both is talking about the, the, the priesthood, and the kingship, that there is peace between king and, and priest. And that only happened once, and that's through Yeshua. Remember we talked about uh, Uzziah who tried to burn incense, and what happened? Leprosy broke out on him. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who establishes it? Who builds the house? He does. God does. Yeshua does. And he says he establishes the throne forever. For an eternity. That means that when Jesus says that we are now the, uh, the most holy place the tabernacle, the temple of God, that he now lives in us, this isn't just for a little time. It's not until this new temple is built. It's not until the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. It's now and forever. So even though this is, you know, talking to Solomon here, uh, bottom line, it goes well beyond that. Well beyond. Okay, again, Samuel's saying that Solomon was the one that was going to build the house. But prophetically, we see this is talking about Yeshua, Solomon's temple. If this was just Solomon, it says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We see that, yes, his house goes on, but his temple does not. His temple was torn down. Yeshua is the final fulfillment and the better fulfillment of this prophecy. Solomon was just a picture of what was to come. Colossians 1.24 in the New Testament, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. How can we be the temple and he be the temple? Well, because we are his body. We are one with him. So yes, Jesus is the temple, but so are we because 
He lives in us. And if he's the temple, the temple's in us. Ephesians 1, verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So once again, Jesus is the temple, so are we, because he lives in us. Ephesians 2, 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in which you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So over and over we're seeing the same thing being attested to. Yes, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the temple, but it says that in Him there's this building. In Him we are being fitted together. We are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We are pillars in that temple. So that in him, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the third temple, folks. Psalm 147, verse 2, just more proof. Everywhere we go, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. How does he build up Jerusalem? By gathering the outcasts together. John 14, verse 20, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We're one. Zechariah 14, 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, The Lord is one, and his name one. It couldn't get more clear. So clear that the third temple that so many seem to be talking about in the church today is man's thing, not God's. This is not the temple that God is going to build. This is the one that man is going to build. And it's not the one that the Spirit will reside in. We are the one the Spirit resides in. You know, we can read from Jewish records here about the destruction of the second temple. You know, Solomon built the temple. The Babylonians destroyed that one. And then they come back from Babylon and they build another one. That is the second temple. Sometimes it's called Herod's temple because Herod did some um, revamping of it then in, uh, you know, shortly before the days of Jesus and during that time. And uh, it says this. Uh, by the way, this is when we read that the Romans were coming to destroy this second temple. And the priests are, are basically singing on a, on a platform of the altar and the high priest is there as well, but the place that the high priest would normally stand, this is where they're singing this song. It says, The day the temple was destroyed was the ninth of Av. It was the conclusion of the Sabbath and the, and the end of the seven-year cycle. It was during the time of the priestly shift of the Yero Reeve, and it says the priest and the Levites stood on the platform and continued to sing and did not cease until the enemy, the Romans, entered and subdued them. When the high priest saw that the holy temple was in flames, he climbed up to the roof of the sanctuary together with groups of the young priests 
and here it continues, they held the keys to the temple in their hands and spoke before the Holy One, blessed be he, master of the universe, it appears that we were not worthy of being trusted officers for you. Take back the keys to your house. And with that, they threw the keys upward and the image of a hand appeared in the heavens and took them. Now, again, th this is Jewish records, but I find it fascinating that this high priest stands up and he throws the keys of the temple to God and it says that a hand appeared and took him. Now, whether this really happened or not, I don't know. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if this really did happen because this kind of thing happens a lot in the history of the Jews where God is trying to tell them something. He is trying to speak to them. He is performing miracles and wonders and signs to woo them, to see the truth, but they just won't. I want to show you why I also think this is so important. Look what we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, basically the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Remember, God said that he was going to be the one that was going to build the church, build the temple right? And it's on Peter, or really the confession of Peter, that Jesus is Lord. He says, on this I will build my church. Not Peter, but Peter's confession that he was the Messiah. He even said that he would give the keys, as we're going to see as this continues here. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. And look at this, verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, we see when Jerusalem is being surrounded, that the Romans are coming and the high priest takes the keys to, well, the keys to heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That's what the tabernacle is, a picture of heaven, right? He takes the keys and he throws them up and God takes them. But yet we see prophesied here in Matthew 16 that upon the confession that he is the Messiah, that Yeshua is the one, the very thing all these Orthodox Jews are denying. They're not confessing that. There's no foundation there. And he says, upon this rock, this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. And he says, I'm going to give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's huge right there. And so, guys, those keys that God came down, he was saying, yes, it's not supposed to be an earthly thing. I'm giving it to you. You guys are now that temple. You hold the keys. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. That's the key right there. So we need to take another uh, week to look at this, and we're going to see uh, in part D that 
the third temple has been trying, uh, they've tried to rebuild this thing many times and it has failed. Why? We will talk about that next week. But for now, I hope this is enough to give you an idea just to see even further. Folks, this was prophesied that we would be the temple. And we don't need to be waiting for another physical one to happen. It is here. That's where our faith lies in the word of God and in Yeshua who has made all of this possible.